you're widely regarded as the best spin bowler, English spin bowler of our time. Yeah. Um, even the likes of uh, Piers Morgan, who's notoriously difficult, he can't stop singing your praises. Yeah. Sachin Tendulkar's wicket as your first test wicket. I really want to speak about it. This is something that has come up, uh, I think uh, it's come up a lot in the press. Um, you've spoken about it at length, but I want to come at it with a slightly different angle, uh, Monique, because like, you've, you've gone to bowl against Sachin Tendulkar. I'm going to say that again. You stepped up to bowl against him. What, what, was you, what were you feeling like? Um, when you went to bowl against him, knowing. Yeah, look, you do get nervous. I was always scared. I was like, I remember um, when I was, you know, like when I when I had my first tour of India, I was like, look, these are all these different players, but I don't think I'm going to be able to do that well against them because they're not really good. I'll probably just go there for the experience. And then I just signed a two new year, a two uh, a two year contract with Northants, and I thought the experience would be great. And I want to come back. I'll able to just you know become a better bowler. But I think sometimes if you like, like when you're, I, I was always, I remember I was always had the knack the previous year, like I would always get the great players of spin out in counting cricket, like Graham Hick, I got him out twice um, in the same match. I got, and but Sachin. yeah, so I, I always found that I was, my focus, my um, like, um, you know, just bowling quality deliveries. Like, that's the kind of stuff, that's the sort of stuff, like, I, all I wanted from Sachin Tendulkar was a compliment to say, look, Monty, uh, you know, that was a great bowling of, you know, great bowling there against me, you bowled good 10 overs or whatever, a good spell of bowling, and you made it hard for me, and actually, you know what, you're, you're a really good bowler, and I would have been happy with that, like, I, I would never thought I would take him as my first test wicket, and... Did you get the compliment off him? Did you speak, yeah, did you speak to him about it? Yeah, yeah, he signed the ball for me, and he said, once in a blue moon, never again, mate. You should have signed the ball and give it back to him. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so he gave me he gave he actually gave the gave that back to me. And then I got him out at Lords, LBW, and then he said, Once in a blue moon comes more often than I thought. <laughs> Did you sign the ball then and give it to him? No, no, no. He he signed the ball for me and he gave it back to me. And then um and then then when I got him out in Mumbai, I was like can't really ask him to sign the ball now, man. It's a bit embarrassing. You know, yeah, like, could, yeah, could you sign the third ball for me, by the way? Um, how, how many times did you bowl him? I think about four or five times I got him out. About five, six times, it, yeah. You don't even, you weren't, you lost count, basically. Yeah, because I think, I think in Mumbai, if I, if I had the ball and I said, oh, we won the test match, we beat him in Mumbai, and then I go to the dressing room, knock on the door, and I say, oh, can you sign the ball as well for me? And it's like a hammer blow, really, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I can see I can see that. But so so what I want to ask you, um, Monty, you've you've bowled him I mean, you've bowled him out. That's the best of the best. You you that's pinnacle, right? Um so I'm, I'm gonna give you an exa a, a comparison. Matt Damon, you know, one of the greatest I, I would I would say one of the greatest contemporary actors um of our generation. He speaks about winning an Oscar when he was twenty-six. And how he was so grateful for it because it meant it set him free from the pressures of having to achieve as he was entering uh, his sort of late twenties. So he he was so grateful for um, securing the, that that Oscar nomination and victory because it meant that he wouldn't have the pressure of trying to seek this into his thirties and forties. That must have similarly when you took that wicket, it must have took a lot of pressure off of you in the sense that you've done the deed. Um, there's there's no one greater to bowl out. 
um, to, and sort of set you free. Did you not find that was the case? Yeah, well, I think I, I think that was. I, 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 there was a lot more expectation on me. There was like, oh, if you can get Tendulkar, you can probably get anyone out, and um, you know, because of, of of his greatness. Um, so it put that added pressure, but it also made me a better cricketer as well because you know I remember. You know, I was, I was much more focused. I was much more dis, you know, like I was just focusing on my process of how to like more quality deliveries. Um, so yeah, I think yeah, you're, you're probably right. You know, if if you start off with a bit of a bang, um, it, you know, you got to like then that's where then my mentors and you know my life coaches who were around me, like the the team, to like help me to um, you know, uh, mentally stay strong because it's all about the mental toughness, you know, to then continually bowling good deliveries, continually bowling good overs, and we're going to get these wickets. Um, that's where their help comes. So, you know, for me to, like, reach my goals and and to be successful, um, yeah, you need, like, a good life coach to help you through it. Youngsters these days are much more likely to climb up an Instagram page than they are a tree. Um, yeah, that's probably, probably that's the probably best way to put it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, which is which is I heard something uh, the other day. I heard uh, uh, I think it might have been ironically a meme on social media. A dad says to his son, "Go and climb the tree, son," and the son turns to the dad and says, "Why?" Isn't like you know we, we didn't need a reason why, did we? We're just out there, as you rightly said, just playing, getting involved. And I think this is going to have far more reaching consequences than just physical. I think this will affect the mental uh, well-being. I think of children um, going forward and the younger generation. Yeah, yeah, I think it does do. I, I think one thing I find is like. Obviously, a lot of, most of my family are into like exercising, physical. Like my, my dad's always exercising every morning. But that's, that's be- wonderful. Yeah, but that's because maybe I'm an athlete myself and I do that. And I, I don't think every household goes through that, you know, like where everyone just gets up in the morning, does their own exercise. But as a society, we're very good at, we know how to get rich. You know, we're very good at gaining capital wealth and, and financial capital wealth. That we, We're good at that. And there's something that we always talk, everyone just talks about that. You know, everyone's like, yeah, I just want to make money, get rich. Um, Monty, do, do you mean as a community generally or as a set community? I think I think as a community in general, you know, South Asian communities oh. are just good at making money. <laughs> yeah, no. You know, they just they just have that skill and then they're very good at it. Um, um, but they sometimes, you know, substitute that for their own, own mental well-being and and what about the social, you know, social capital? Do they invest enough time with friends and family um, just to give a call or see how they are? Or, you know, uh, like a cricket club was a great place for me, you know, for a place of congregation where you're just, you know, always meeting people, always doing, you know, playing cricket, training cricket, meeting members. And that's why it's important, you know, to be part of like something around your town or be part of a cricket club, be part of, something where there's a, a place of congregation because that, that really, I think, helps with your mental health. Was there a particular person that you met that you thought was, was, uh, was, was quite a memorable experience for you? For me, like Hugh Grant, I met Hugh Grant in England. Um, just, just smooth and very smooth English, silky bloke. Just, you know, if there was the next James Bond, it should be Hugh Grant, you know, he's just wonderful. Um, but I really enjoyed just, you know, how he was as a person and I thought, wow. What a what a what a great individual! I'm gonna have to check you there, mate. I'm a, I'm an avid I'm an avid film bud, and um, we'll get onto films in a minute. But there is no way that Hugh Grant could stand the rigors of a James Bond film set. Daniel Craig is really really up the game. Anyone that's gonna follow Daniel Craig is gonna have to be either an ex stunt man or an ex military man because you know that 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 role the, the standard that has been raised by Daniel Craig. Don't you think that it would be a very difficult well... task? 
Well, okay. So if you're looking at someone who's raised that standard of bit, it's a bit more physical now. You've got to have that physical, like a, like a bit of, it's a, you know, got to have a bit more of a physical body about you. You can't be the smooth, you know, Sean Connery kind of ways, you know. Um, I'm James Bond, 007, you know, you know, that kind of, that. it's got to be someone with a bit more. So someone who comes to mind, I think, who's, who is, who is really going up, up the ranks is Andrew Flintoff. He's, he's become the presenter of Top Gear. Mm. And he's keep going up the ladder like he he could be the next James Bond. I think you're right. There were, there were talks last year of having a, a black British person play the role of James Bond. Oh, then it's only that one person, isn't it? Idris Elba. Idris Elba, yeah. Yeah, he, he, he's, he, he's a quality actor. He could hold yeah. his own, I think. A black James Bond would, yeah, would be interesting. I think so. I think it would be fitting. I think it would be there would be some element of so there would be some element of yeah. social justice in doing that. You know, hundred percent, hundred percent. But let's get rid of it. Let's just let's just wipe Hugh Grant off the wall for that. Okay, let's just, let's right. just come back. <laughs> yeah, Monty, you're, you're you've, you've spoken a bit about mental health already. Obviously, you're very passionate about it. Um, in terms of your own struggles, like when did it start? Like, when do you realise that you might have some mental health issues? Yeah, yeah. Well, on? I think when I think aware? look, um, it's. I think I think sometimes as sports people, you know, we we, we need to perform well to feel good, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, um, when you're performing well, you feel great. But it's when you're not performing well, can you still feel mentally great? And for me, that I I, I couldn't that I could I could you know I, I always needed to take wickets, and the wickets started to stop, and then you know it took me like you know probably double amount of balls, you know, ninety balls to get one wicket instead of sixty. Mm-hmm. Now that that then starts taking a toll on you, you know, you have it's an extra effort, and you get irritated if you don't get a an LBW. You're appealing for a ball which is patched outside leg stump, and the umpire probably knows that you you, you know you're being really you get really desperate to get a wicket. Then a catch gets dropped. You try a bit harder. You bowl faster. You don't bowl with your loop or or, or the spin on the ball, and actually you're just bowling darts when you're desperate to get a wicket and. And and that's what ends up happening. And then it affects your mental health. You kind of not like the game. You're not enjoying the game as you used to because you're not performing well. And that's that's how it started to creep in. And um, you know, and then I kind of like, I'm a big Arsenal football fan. You know, I'll go to the you know pub, have a few drinks, and then I started. Then I I didn't realize like I was like I'm watching a football and I'm like I'm having a pint, and um, I feel really good. I was like, oh, I feel really good actually. I feel, I feel, I feel all right now. Or oh, maybe I just had mm-hmm. a bad day, and that's it. And then I started to rely more and more on it. I thought, oh, when I'm a bit down, I'll just have a few drinks. I'll be all right. You know, drinks is a good thing to do. You know, like it's okay. But I didn't realize I was using drink as a medication to feel good um, because I wasn't performing that well. I was performing all right, but I think there was deeper underlying issues which I don't know. Sometimes we don't address, or sometimes we just don't know how to address. And you kind of always go to your default positions. For example, go to the gym, just pump loads of weight and feel get the endorphins to pump in and you feel great and that's it. Mm-hmm. But you haven't actually talked, you know, and that's what I think the most important thing is, is talking about whatever's on your mind, talking about your feelings, talking about your thoughts. And, and if you've got a family member you can talk to, that's great because the more you do that with them, then they will know how to manage you and how they'll be good for you. There's certain things like alcohol. It's an antidepressant. It's, it is like taking medication, you know, and you don't realize it because it just lifts your mood. Now, you know, you can't, you don't want to be in a place where you use alcohol 
not to enjoy, but to feel good, you know, to lift your mood, then you know, like something's not right. And that's why you got to ask yourself the question, do I have five people? Like you have, you know, five fingers Do I have five people I can speak to and um, who are they? And if I don't have that, then that has a concern. Then it's like, wow, you haven't actually, like I said, we go back to that same thing. We work so hard on our financial capital, but then you haven't put the effort and time on your social capital. And, you know, there's a lot of people I know in, in our community who, since I just spoke about it because it was my book, but a lot of people have just come up to me and speak to me. They go, look, you know what? I've got loads of money. I've got this. I've got that. I'm just not happy. And I've got no one to talk to. And then you kind of think, well, yeah, because when you were making lots of money, you didn't invest that time, you know, to speak to like your friends and your family just to develop a social friendship with someone. Drop them a message. Just ask them the question. How are you doing? Have a five to ten minute chat. Little things like that, you know, you do, let's say, once a week, once a fortnight with your friends, maybe meet them up, you know, like, I don't know, twice a month or something, or even once a month, you know, it doesn't have to be like, you know, every week. But after a two-year period, you know, they're going to notice something, and I think, oh, I haven't, I haven't had a call from my friend, or I haven't seen him for a month, what's going on, let me give him a shout, hey, what's going on, everything okay, oh, let me reach out to you, oh, all right, you know, let me come and see you, because I remember you came last week, Um. And that naturally happens. And then you go and you think, well, what's going on? Why, you know, you're not feeling great, blah, blah, blah. You know, that, they're there for you. That's why I, I, I believe, you know, you know, because loneliness is a breeding ground for mental health issues that you should, you know, invest time and you should know personally yourself who are the five people that I can speak to if tomorrow, you know, I had to speak to someone. That's an interesting thing. If essentially you're talking about... Um... A good company essentially right and a good good company for the well-being of your mind um, mm. i think i think it's interesting you can say that i think there's a lot of music that concentrates on people having lots of material possessions but feeling really quite alone and i think where we live in a generation i think where which is slowly becoming woke to the fact that uh, material possessions do not equal happiness um and that it really is the relationships that you have uh, and the experiences that you get to enjoy with the people that you love, that is going to lead to long-term happiness. Yeah, I think you put it beautifully, because I think what happens is there's there's a moment, especially in all of our lives, um, and, and especially, you know, I think South Asian communities, you know, us, we, we work harder than maybe other communities because we're just brought up that way. We've been told to just work hard, work hard, work hard, um, and consume our time and energy just working hard and making lots of money. Um, but what we do within that is we neglect relationships and sometimes you've got to think to yourself, you know, um, maybe just take my friends out. You know, if, I, if I've had a really good month, right, guys, um, dinner's, uh, dinner's on me, get all your mates out and just shout them out dinner. That little things like that, you know, make a huge difference. It's not a big thing, but it's you've taken the time out, you know. To, to 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 see how your mate is or to or to enjoy you know time together just little things like that i think make just you know make a huge difference you know i phoned one of the elders the other day after a while um someone i look up to uh, and he said it doesn't take much but it means much yeah that's pretty much what you're what you're sort of hinting on i think there's a lot of lessons to be learned from that uh, you can go around the world but ultimately it's who you come home to right your community that you come home to well, look, um, you know, every, every, like, for example, you know, when I talked about loneliness as a breeding ground for mental health issues, like, um, you look at, like, I would encourage people of our old community go to their places of worship as well, not just to, you don't have to be a practicing Sikh, 
you know, you can be eating, you can eat meat, you can drink, whatever, but go there, not obviously go there, you know, not, not getting toxinated, but go there in a clean mindset. But you should go there because it's a place of congregation. It's a place where you don't feel alone. It's a place where you can actually share your feelings with someone, have a friend of, you know, a place of it at, at the Gurdwara and, and, and be part of a Sangat group as well, because that is good for your mental well-being as well, because then you don't feel alone. You feel like you have an identity. You feel like you belong somewhere. And um, it's and, and don't feel discouraged. You know, you may not look the same. I, I know some people who are clean shaven. You may not look like, you know, a typical Sikh. But at the end of the day, just just go there. Like, don't get discouraged because the more you go to these uh, places of worship, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good place to get your mind distracted on the, on what's happening in the world. Nice, nice to connect with your faith, but also, you know, you 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 can you can talk about things that are happening within yourself that you can do within the the, the sangat, which is another place of, like I said, you know, you you can talk to someone. So it's Monty, yeah. You speaking about your faith, um, um, obviously, uh, you have uh, been recognised and distinguished. Uh, as being one of uh, the, the most successful Sikh, British Sikh athlete of our generation, and possibly of all time, um, in terms of um, um, British history. Um, how important has your face been to you in terms of your cricketing career? If anything, you know, the, the things like, you know, in cricket, you need patience, you need discipline, you need perseverance, um, you, ne you need some sort of structure, and I think faith and religion just gives you these kind of things. It, you know, sometimes you, things don't, you don't want things to happen quickly. But if you can relate yourself to faith and think it's okay, you know, I'll keep watering my plant every day. One day, you know, the, the seed will sprout. And that's what faith is. You know, you just have faith that, okay, I'll go to the Gurdwara once a week or I'll just go there and then, you know, say hi to my mates. And, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it, for me, it's like, Oh yeah, my, oh, I feel my mates are coming over. I have to go to us. So I'll go and go and see. I'm seeing for ages, but then just through that, you know Monty, I, I just need. To, I want to, that's you've actually put that really beautifully. It really need not be more complicated than that. Just to be excited about meeting Sikhs at the Gordara. There's something that which we which we can value in something as simple as that. But perhaps we take for granted, isn't it? Yeah, I think sometimes we do. I think for me, I've been. Sort of quite lucky from a young age. I used to go to the Gurdwara and we would just go there and just play, like we're playing football on the car park five aside, or go meet up with your mates, have a chit chat, and just sit there, but not like really understanding, like, you know, why is like our Sikh religion like this? Um, but it's like, how do I say it? You know, it's like a, you know, it's like an invisible force or an existence or a sixth sense. Like you go to a place of worship, you're going to, you know, you're going to like, you know, everyone's going to get some form of blessing from it anyway. It doesn't matter. You have to be religious or non-religious. So I would always encourage people to go there. And if you have a group of friends that you can go to, it makes it a lot easier because then you can always catch up with your friends and, you know, you don't feel like, oh, I'm the odd one out because I'm just sitting there and just like listen to Keaton or listen to the Barney or something like that. And actually, I don't really understand what's going on because I don't understand myself. Like, you know, it's a, it's a, it can be a quite, quite a disparity there. And if you've got like a group of friends who go there and, and do that, I, I, I'll encourage people to do that because that's, an, again, another thing that could just that, that, he, that helps you to, to have a positive outlook on life and keeps your mind positive. That's an interesting. That's an interesting lookout. Have you have you heard of um, um, a philosopher called 
Gianni Kulwansing. He, he he said something that I thought was quite um, I thought it was quite enlightening, and he said that um, the 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 good company that you keep is like a river or a stream. They're naturally going to flow in that direction towards the sea anyway, and if you happen to be in that company, it will take you there as well. A, a, a bit like being in the current of that river or stream. Essentially, that's what you're describing, isn't it? That if you've got friends that are going to be going to a positive place and you're in their company, ultimately, you're going to get taken to that place as well, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, that's that's what ends up happening, you know, if you're, uh, you know, in a group of them people. But I, I, I don't try and activate and get too religious or talk about, you know, Sikhism in a very religious way because then, um, you know, people, if you start talking it that way, then people, you know, what if tomorrow they see me outside of a queue of a nightclub, um, you know, on like a, a Cafe de Paris and I'm there like, Monty, what are you doing now? So I'm just going out with my mates having a bit of fun. And they're like, but you were like last week, Sunday morning, talking about, you know, giving us a cutout on like Sikh religion. And I'm like, <laughs> well, you know, is it, is it that there's a complete disparity? Like, if you're going to be 100% committed and doing all of that stuff, then you can't do the other things. Do you get me? Like, I like to just keep myself really like, yeah, I'm just like a Sivadar there. I don't want to, I don't want to be like, I don't want to be like, you know, here's a mic and talk about religion because. Like tomorrow, you know, two days, tomorrow, I'll probably end up meeting a friend in a pub. And I, I just don't think it, it, it's the right image for Sikhi. Do you know what I mean? I'm just like, just a, just a, just a civil there. Do you know what I mean? Like everyone else. Now, look, I hear what you're saying. Do you know when you're talking about the, the Café de Paris thing? Do you know what? I remember something funny. I remember reading in a paper a few years ago about an incident with you and a bouncer. Yeah. You've got to tell us about that. You've got to tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. Kiss on a bouncer. No, I didn't. I didn't. I was see that was that was a time when I wasn't in a great place, and um, I I had too much to drink, and I used drink then. My relationship with alcohol was very bad then, and that's why I've I've stopped drinking. It's been about three years now. I've just stopped it because I realised actually, me and alcohol just don't get along. You know, it's just not for me. You know, it just isn't. And it's funny when you stop drinking. Mm -hmm. Um. You have so much more space. It's like, oh, it's uh, seven o'clock and in the evening, what do I do? Like, oh, this, 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 this is the time where we just open up a, a black label or or something like that. Sure, but sure. Uh, I just had so much more space. I ended up going to more networking clubs. I ended up being more productive. Um, I ended up just like going to the gym more because I recovered quicker, you know, ended up getting fitter. And I just wanted to, you know, just – and and I think um, – yeah, that time was probably a bit of a dark time for me. And, um, um, yeah, so th therefore I, I just stopped drinking alcohol. I just thought it's just, you know, I, I, I don't think I, – I, I don't know how to um, – I, I don't really know how to, like, you know, use alcohol in a positive way for myself. So I just, I just, I just stopped. It's interesting you say that, right? You talk about a, a dark time, right? And I know that Caroline Flack's been in the, the news a lot recently. I mean, you go out of a night, you make a few mistakes. The difference is when somebody like you does it, it's all over the papers the next morning. That's yeah. You know, yeah. We, we all make mistakes. Ours don't get put across the front page of the paper. Yeah, I know. Look, I, I, I spoke to my parents. I remember my judge who lives in Glasgow. He's got a off license and he looked at the in the morning, looked at the papers and he goes, he goes, right? he didn't hold back. He's just like, and that, my family's like that. They're like really laid back. They're just like laughing. They're like, oh my God. You know, they're like laughing. But then it it was it wasn't a good image for me and the ECB and then 
the wider community, you know, like within Sikhi, like they're probably thinking, oh my God, we thought he was a practicing Sikh. Or some people think I'm really religious and I'm like, I'm actually not that religious. Or they think that, oh, you know, he's like really, you know, practices a lot and whatever. I think I just maybe might have my own understanding or maybe my upbringing, you know, I just understand and, and I just put things in my words, which make it easier for people to sort of connect with Sikhi. Because I, when I go to the Gurdwara and they see me and there's youngsters, they come up and they talk, they ask me so many questions about Sikhism. And I just, like you said, oh, I like it how you just made it really simple. Oh, let's let's just get a group of mates together and let's go to the Gurdwara, do, you know, hang out for there, do Matadik, listen to Kirtan, do a bit of Seva, help out. And it's a nice way to connect. And I think probably that's what it is. I'll probably just simplify things, you know, for, for people to understand. I think I just understood that the principles and the values that faith brings can actually help your own life when it comes to reaching your goals. Could be your business, could be sports. I think there's certain values that you can actually, if you follow faith, that you can actually transfer transfer them skills into your into your everyday sort of goals in life as well. We had just reaching from Sec PA on a few weeks ago. Yeah. And it's interesting that you say that, um, you know, the paper's version of it just wasn't true. He says similar things. The papers just print what they like. Yeah, yeah. Look, they can print what they like, right? But you know what it is? End of the day, right? It's to you said something really good. You said like, yeah, when you want to come back, you come back to a place where there's a strong community behind you. People are strong. And my parents, they always stuck by me. You know, my dad, my dad always said to me, he goes, I don't care what the people are saying to you. We know that, you know, what happened and, and that's it. He goes, you've got nothing to worry about. For me, the biggest shame was like, oh, my God, what are my parents going to think? And like, my mom was my mom and my mom and dad were just behind me. They, they, they said, don't worry, you know, um, you know, we're right behind you. And that was it. That was my pillar of strength. Like there's a lot of people out there where like sometimes their parents just like don't want to speak to them, you know, and. Mm -hmm for four X, Y, and Z. And I would, I would like never, I'd always encourage parents never to do that. It doesn't matter what their child has done because, uh, you know, the, the child would always pay back the parents like tenfold for saying, Oh my God, thank you for staying by. Thank you for sticking behind me. You know, even during some, some of my tough times and that that's it. Then that's your pillar of, that's your root, isn't it? Your parents. And if they're right behind you, then you don't have any fear. You're like, Oh, you know, I don't, I, it doesn't bother me what my what the Sikh community of people are saying because my parents are right behind me. And through that, you start just learning. You start layering through your mistakes, through the good things and the bad things you've done. And by going through that process, you know, like that onion layering, um, that's why I came to a decision about three years ago. I thought, actually, you know what? I think alcohol is not good for me. And I, I'm, I'm going to stop drinking for myself. This is just for myself. This is not for like you know, for anyone else, because end of the day, you should do things for yourself. That is good for you. So have you been clean for three years? Have you actually, you've actually had no, you've, you've been completely teetotal for three years? Yeah, I've been teetotal for three years. Having been teetotal for three years, do you think that, um, do you have any regrets about not consuming alcohol the last three years? Any regrets at all? Not any regrets. It was quite painful when I stopped. It was like, you know, the first three months was quite difficult for me. It was just like, oh gosh. You know, and then I'll speak to my family, my brother, and my brother's like, Look, man, you're just gonna go through this, mate. He goes, You're gonna, he goes, Let's just watch something funny and get your mind off it. And and then, you know, we'll do that, or maybe have an energy drink. And then gradually, you're like, Oh, actually, I don't need the energy drink, or I don't need to do that. I can, I'll go for a run, or I do that. And then suddenly the body just changes. Yeah. And then I, I just like, for example, you know, when, when I had my mental health issues, like, um, 
I started to go to the Gurdwara more because it's a place of congregation. And I found like, actually, I feel mentally much better just speaking to people here, you know. And I started to make some friends and, you know, um, and, and, and then we started to, you know, just regularly meet up. And I used to just go there just to feel good. I didn't go there like, I wouldn't tell anyone like, oh, actually, you know what, I, I'm just here. I know what I was just like, yeah, and just talk to them. I think I go out and then I walk, go home and I'm like, oh, that feels really good. And then, you know, you kind of like think, hang on a minute, like people are looking up to me in the Sikh community now. And like, I've got to, like, I, I've got to be honest to them as well. Like, you know, this is who I am as a person. But I think they like the honesty. They're like, actually, you know what, we like how Monty's changed himself around. You talk about um, your family supporting you, Monty. Yeah. And that, that obviously propelled you to a place where you, you end up playing in your first uh, test, test match. And you take the wicket of Sachin Tendulkar, your first wicket. That must have been amazing. Yeah, that was like, um, it was an amazing feeling for me. Um, you know, but it was part of my, even part of Punjabi community was like, oh, Monty, you shouldn't have taken Tendulkar's wicket. You know, he's still, <laughs> yeah, they were like, he's still one of us, man. Like, why, why you know, he's still Indian. Why do you take him? You should take it someone else. He's like, our. <laughs> He's like our. Do you not realize the whole the whole team's Indian, right? It is. No, no, the whole team's Indian, but he's like, you know, it's like, I don't know. God. It's like it's like beating Roger Federer, isn't it, in a tennis match? And it's like, oh, you can't beat the best tennis player, but you can beat someone else. That's really interesting. Who, who do you think was one of the greatest influences in well, um, in helping? You yeah, play? look, look, probably my 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 coach Dave Parsu, Deepak Deepak Parsu, who passed away. You know, he he's you know him. He had lung cancer and unfortunately passed away three years ago. Um, but he was brilliant. He he talked about mental toughness. You know, he talked about life is or any goal you want to reach or any position. Like he would say to me, like, you know, like I remember one of his quotations. He goes, you're like a Duracell battery. Um, you know, if you perform well in one match, how many games can you keep performing? So if, you, if you've taken five wickets in one, can you repeat it again? Are you, how good are you? Like, are you only good for one game or can you do it two or three times? And that was, he was a great motivator. You know, it's like, wow, he's not satisfied with this. He wants me to do it again. And he kind of like molded me into becoming this, you know, really good bowler, but mentally being very strong. While the coaches, my cricket coaches would help me to help me with technically, like we have five aspects in cricket. We have physical, mental, tactical, technical, and lifestyle. So he was more of my, like my mental coach, you know, mentally how to stay strong. Then I had the physical. And was he the gentleman that... That discovered your spin ball because you you originally a fast nah, ball, yeah. Paul you? Paul Taylor from Northants um, discovered me. So whenever I see him, I always just he's like the Messiah for me. He's like he is my God. He's my cricketing God, Paul Taylor. I was watching one of your interviews and it was really endearing, mate. And I think um, you know all credit to you. You don't see a lot of uh, humility um, and and respect going to where it was due to those that helped those become great. And you speak quite emotionally and heartfelt about this this uh, this coach. So do you want to just give us a lowdown? I'm talking about because you were originally a fast bowler, and then someone picked you up and went, "Hang on, this guy can spin," and they, they just converted you out of the game into a, obviously becoming the most one of the most pro pro prolific uh, spinners. Uh, but it wasn't actually down to you; it was, it was down to your coach. Well, you it was Paul Taylor wasn't like my coach; he was just like coaching. And um, but he 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 was a left arm seamer, and I wanted to be like I wanted to be like Wazi Makram, man. Everything about Wazi Makram, I used to love. You know his long hair, his run up. His voice to bat, he used to bowl swing, reverse swing. You know, that that was my passion. I was like, I want to be like Wazi Makram. 
But I just wasn't quick enough. And then he said to me, look, Monty, you've got really long hands. Why well, at 15, the age of 15, he goes, try and spin one in the indoor nets. So I spun it and it went around corners. And he goes, oh, mate, next game play, you know, just bowl spin. And I bowled spin Worcester under 15s. And I took seven for 35, you know, and, and won the game. And like, that was it. It was like, right, you're not going to change now. You're going to keep bowling spin. So like whenever I'm meeting, I'm like, thank you so much, Paul Taylor, for like, you know, giving me that soundful advice um, where, you know, he's like, I always, always bow down to him. I was always like, oh, he's, he's the first person on the Christmas list. That's, that. that's, that's really nice, brother. It's really hot. As I'll say it again. It's, it's, it's nice to see um, um, people at the top remembering where they came from. That's a really, that's a really beautiful uh, character trait, I think, to have. Yeah. Well done for you for that, mate. Keep your feet on the ground. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Your uh, England cricket fans, I mean, they just, they worship you as a, as a bowling god. You're amazing, right? They, they weren't so keen on your batting and fielding. And I know there are occasions where you were sarcastically applauded while you were fielding. Do you take that in the spirit that it's intended as a, as a laugh or does that affect you on the pitch? Look, for me, it it was about... They, they, I had some embarrassing moments, man. It was like, I remember at Lords. Tell us your best one. Yeah, the best one was at Lords. I, I went running and I slid and then I, I thought I saved a four, but my foot went off on, on the boundary line and then I threw the ball in, so it was four anyway. And yeah, that was like proper embarrassing. So I've had some moments which are really embarrassing, which other cricketers don't have. And then I have oh, some super moments, which other cricketers don't have. And I think that's what made me popular. <laughs> it makes you human, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. The idea of uh, people applauding you while you're fielding Um it just it shows that they sort of connect with you and they appreciate you. Yeah, I think I asked that question actually. I just asked all the cricket fans, and, and he goes, "Look, Monty, you know what it is? You're just a watchable character. It's just your your energy or how you play the game and how you are. Like you have embarrassing moments, right, which other cricketers won't have, but then you have highs which others won't have. So you, <laughs> it's just it's just a colourful character, you know. You're like one minute I'm trying to catch a ball off Dhoni, and it's like ten meters away from me, and they're like." Well, how did he misjudge that? And two balls later, <laughs> he catches the ball. And it's like on that subject of fielding, mate. One of your one of your colleagues who you played international cricket with, he said something that was really quite profound. Um, and I and I use that word profound intentionally. He said Monty's turnaround in terms of how bad he was at fielding to how to how good he became at fielding was one of the single <coughs> greatest examples of human achievement he had ever seen. And he said that twice. He he said it was one of the greatest examples of human achievement um, because you went from being so bad to so good. What do you say about that? And what do you think was the greatest influence on your making that progress? It was just hard work, you know, just working hard, endless hours of training and, and, and trying to improve myself as a cricketer. And, and eventually, yeah, I got myself better at fielding. But I was, yeah, I was terrible. I wasn't very good at fielding. Um, and uh, even now, like, I'm much better now. So, yeah, sometimes you just got to, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a nice compliment, but, you know, it didn't make me into, like, the greatest fielder. But I, I could guess what people, I guess where it makes them see it, because they, like, see it as um, he was so awful to where he got to, like, was amazing. He put so many hours in. So, you know, it's, um, yeah, it, it took, it was, yeah, I, I was terrible at fielding, but... Um, yeah, I worked really hard to get where I need to, yeah. In terms of where you've got to, 
What's next for you, Monty? Next, maybe, you know, chances for me to come back in cricket. That would be really good. Um, also, try maybe, you know, I, I want to, you know, go to media broadcasting. I'll be happy, you know, if I can get into media broadcasting. Um, and also, um, if I can, uh, um, you know, try and get to like TV, become in you know, a media, TV work, you know, that kind of stuff, entertainment, you know, that's the sort of area I want to go into afterwards. Because I think a lot of people say to me, because Monty, you're, you know, you're that, that type of character, you know, that you just enter a room and um, everyone warms to you, you know, like different age groups, you know, you, you just, you know, and, and I think that that's the right sort of personality for TV. And I think, I think you'd be, you'd be good for TV. So yeah, media broadcasting. Yeah. That's something I, I, I like to get involved with. That's really interesting. Monty, as we, as we finish up, I want to just ask you, um, if you, if you could, if you look back over the past 15 years or so, w- what single memory, what single moment outside of cricket that cricket might have brought into your life, no doubt, what single memory really stands out as something that you thought, wow, I'm never going to forget this. I think the my, one of my favourite memories was when we won the Ashes in Australia, and as a team, we all sat down at Sydney, um, on the ground, all of us sitting like in a massive circle, and we're sitting, we're thinking, we're looking up to the stadium. No one's there. Media in this sort of media stand, and we all just as a team there, and you're like thinking, we're sitting on Australian soil, and we've beaten Australia in Australia. It's like it can't get any better than this. And as a group, we've done this together. Um, and I, and I, I didn't play any of the test matches, but I felt like I was part of the whole group. And we that was probably one single memory, which was one of my favourites memory, where I didn't contribute as a player on the field, but it was just brilliant. It was like, wow, actually, I, I don't know when the next team is going to be Australia in Australia, but I'm very lucky that I was I was part of this you know wonderful experience because we love beating australia in anything it's not even in cricket just anything anything against australia we want to beat so, so that's 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 really cool bro talking about your uh, comeback how's that coming along yeah look the season's cut in half my fitness is really good i'm like i'm much more athletic now than i was when i was you know playing this for england but i remember pierce morgan saying that he uh, when you had a bad leg He'd want you on the pitch even with one leg. <laughs> yeah, yes, he's very kind, isn't he? Um, uh, well, he's, no, he's not actually. He's actually very unkind, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which, which means that his compliments of you are even more, uh, um, more founded. Yes, yes, they are. Like I, 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 I get along really well with Piers Morgan. You know, I went to his charity cricket match, and uh, you know, we, we have some, we have a lot of fun together. He's, he's a really good guy. Um, I, I sort of understand his like you know I get his banter and his wit and I sort of laugh. Has he got banter and wit? I, He's I, I very know. funny and I, I I just quietly sit there and just laugh a loads and he sort of understands that look Monty gets my jokes and he just keeps giving them uh, and I just can't stop laughing. He's such a funny guy. So yeah, that's look when we talk about media broadcasting, he's one guy I look up to. I think yeah, something like this. I want to maybe become the next Piers Morgan in the media industry. Do you know what I mean? Well, well, given that you're mates, have you spoken to him about it? Well, he 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 knows. I'm I'm always tuning in on Good Morning Britain every day, and then I'm like writing notes and like, oh, okay, that's 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 a good, great question to ask. That's a really strong question. That's a bit of a you know, that's how to like you know, come hard at these uh, politicians and you know how to interviewing skills, how to talk about topics. So when I watch him, I watch him from a like it's it's like a lecture at, at a university journalism course, you know, and I'm writing down all my notes. So. 
I do it from that perspective, and I think he's one of the really good ones around. And and why why is he why is he such an attraction? Because he's able to be really controversial, get information out of uh, um, out of politicians or out of other people who come on there that other TV shows may not be able to do. And and that's what makes him a great great broadcaster. And uh, yeah, I would love to become the next Piers Morgan. When you say become the next Piers Morgan, I mean the fact that you're taking notes in the morning you're taking it pretty seriously i am yeah yeah because because the thing is in media when you like if i want to talk something controversial then i've got to back it up with facts i can't just say something really outrageous and then i can't back it up and then if i say something outrageous then people want to listen to it. it's like wow monty's being really controversial now i want to know the facts behind it so he's really well researched like i know like he knows his stuff really well and he he picks his moments, you know, to be like really controversial, or he picks his moments to get a real hard hit in fact that it's that's not no one knows, and he'll get it out of the out of the you know out of the sort of person he interviews. And you've got to do a lot of research. You've got to learn know your facts. And like even in cricket, like I know Nasser is saying, Mike Atherton, when I go to like the media center and I just sit there, I sit there from a perspective of learning how they go about their broadcasting. And they, mm-hmm. they, you know what? I've watched they do a lot of research. They, they don't just talk. They know about everything. They know everything about the domestic players to the test cricketers, know all the stats. And there's a lot of work that goes behind it and for them to become good broadcasters. And, and and that's why you know that's what I try and do. I also I call in on LBC as well. You know, talk about topics which are not related to cricket because then anything that's political would make it a lot harder for me to answer. So again, you know, you're, I try and try and come up with a nice sort of you know like a like a a really good answer. And do you do something on Punjab radio as well? Yeah, I go on Punjab radio. So you know, I bring in interviews, and then that that's my opportunity. You know, that's where I like even like. Like Sajit, who's the owner of Punjab, he goes, Monty, man, he goes, you, sometimes you do go really controversial and you're tipping the point and we're like, come on, bring it down now. But I, I, I like it because it challenges me as a person, you know, how, how, how far can I, you know, how far can I be controversial? How far can I be where, you know, can I interview someone? So this week, last week I had interviewed Sandhu Singh, who's come up with a new, um, a new uh, a, a Geet, uh, Ik Ardas, which is a religious, you know, geet, right? And I said, why did you release a geet? Is it like, you know, is it, is it something to do with uh, the young Asians or the young people in the Sikh community? They're not connected to religion. There's an identity issue within our community where some people feel like they don't know it. they're British or they're Indian or they're Sikh. You know, we're British Asian, but what are we, you know? Like the NRI, non-Indian residents. Uh, in India, they say, "Look, guys, you stay for two weeks and go back now, man. You, 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 you were the guys who gave us the virus. Now get out of this country. Go back to England, <laughs> right? Even and then they come back here and they're like, well, in India I'm not accepted. In England I don't know if I'm British or if I'm, you know, whatever. So what am I? And um, that's where I think, you know, you know, if you go to regularly, you know, uh, go to the temple or try and connect with your faith, I think it helps with you to get uh, to feel like actually this is my identity. I can go anywhere part of the world." Go to any any good brother. This is who I am. I am Sikh, and that's my identity. You, you talk about controversy and how Piers Morgan's made a living out of it. Um, I think to, to ask controversial questions, you've got to, you've got to have pretty controversial views, or certainly views that the world perceives as controversial. Yeah, because any good broadcaster has to be controversial. Or I tell you what, give me your most controversial view about anything. Oh, God, that's really interesting. Uh, 
What do you got? One of my controversial uh, views, I, 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 not controversial, but I said um, the song, the song "Sweet Love, Sweet Chariot" shouldn't be banned. Okay. It's linked with slavery, but I don't think Absolutely. it should be banned. I think it gives us an opportunity to learn about slavery, to to be to actually delve into it and get educated on the song, and then. What a great thing it will be! England plays, you know, England playing someone at Twickenham. You've got a white guy with a black guy arm around each other singing the song, but they sing it in a different way, where actually the white British white person is singing it because he understands the hardship that the black people went through through slavery, and the black person is singing there thinking, you know, thank you for understanding that, because thank you for your that empathy and that kindness that you're showing. So for us not banning it, I think it would be better. I think it will bring the community together. I tell you, if I was a black man, I wouldn't. I wouldn't appreciate the empathy of that song. Really? No, I'd be pissed off. Why? It's it's, it's all about slavery. Slavery is something that shouldn't be. It shouldn't be remembered. It shouldn't be glorified. It shouldn't be sung about. It, people should hang their heads in shame as, uh, because of what happened. And I think memories such that as statues should, should be got rid of. Yeah, but then um, it. What? 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 It, I think you'll anger the British white community too much. I think. Look, we're getting rid of everything, and this is about. I, I'm seeing it as the opportunity of bringing diversity together. So you look at the England cricket team, you know, there was diversity in that England cricket team. We had Owen Morgan, who was Irish, Ben Stokes, who was from New Zealand. We have Jason Roy of South African. Then we had bowling the super over, Joffre Archer is from Barbados. They used diversity. And Adil Rashid and Moen that, Ali. That's, 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 they, a, that's yeah. a valid point. So, and that should be applauded insofar as the, the England cricket selectors. But that's a separate topic. Where we, where we are singing songs that are effectively celebrating slavery and not... No, we're not saying... Um, no, no. I'm not saying we're celebrating slavery no, I'm here. Not, I'm not saying... What I'm trying I'm to say, the song, the song will be sing with the intention of not celebrating slavery, but it would be actually I'm... Um, the other communities as well, you know, will give them an opportunity to think, right, this... It's that moment of saying, you know what? This is the hardship that the black people went through, and it gives that opportunity to educate and learn about the song. And you would sing it in a much different manner than a singing a song of like you know with glorified anthem. It's an interesting perspective. I mean, how far do you, do we take that? Does that mean the statue should stay as well? Well, do they serve the same purpose. No, anything linked with slavery, statues should be abolished. But any leaders like Winston Churchill, Mahatma Gandhi, they should be left standing because we should be discussing about the issues of going forward, not every little you know uh, aspect. Um, because leaders of our country should be left, because then that's going to anger other communities and this is not about angering other communities this is about issues of each community so we've got black lives matter and then we've got also issues within the south asian communities to be heard at the government level now if you're going to anger the government from x y and z then what ends up going to happening is they're going to think right fine we are not listening to any community we tell you how it's done and if you guys keep angering us right we'll, we, we're going to increase taxes you will have to pay more taxes then and it's about getting your message heard at the top level. I don't really see the government as a body that can be angered. I see them as people that should be representing the people. And it should be a voice of the people. Yeah, but, yeah, but, think... the, but the message that needs to get to the, to the government, the best way to get there is what people always say is through the most peaceful way you can get there. 
Now, if you're going to keep knocking on the door and, and angering the government and saying, right, we want the next statue down, we want this, we want, we want the this song to be banned, we want that to be banned, they they may do it, but then what will end up happening? What's the bigger issue at the moment? The bigger issue is what changes do we want to see going forward? That's far more important, I believe. We should be having more conversation about changes that need to happen rather than other things that happened in the past. Well, well, the Black Lives Matter movement would say getting rid of statues is one of the change that, changes that we need to see. Yeah, but then what, what, what are the changes going forward? Why, why, why aren't people discussing about that? Why aren't people discussing... Here's a, here's, a, here's a quote I want to share with you from a gentleman called John Stone. He says, and, and this is in response to what you said about um, peaceful means, he say, or like going through the correct channels. John Stone says, quote, one reason people insist that you use the proper channels to change things is because they have control of the proper channels and they're confident that it won't work. And if you apply that logic, then sort of the idea that we should accept the fact that these statues exist and not challenge them because it might anger people um that would suggest that that, that we that we could not otherwise um, get any change i think we're going the wrong way about it you know i think i don't again this is the wrong direction i reckon the direction should be more about the government now have got an ethical committee set in place for issues to be raised now they've done this because they want to see changes they want to say okay let's hear what needs to be done they want to hear what's going forward you know why aren't there more black managers in the Premier League? Why is there a higher participation rate between the age of 18 to 24 of black people in the music and sports industry? But when it gets to the age of 45 to 65 in leadership positions, there's not enough black people or even, let's say, South Asian communities in these positions. Why is that the case? How can we make that change? Now, that's a conversation we should be having. I, I, I don't think it's an either or. I, th I think that they both need to be had. What I do value is that we can have these conversations and have slightly differing opinions and be able to have these chats. I think that's really constructive. Yeah, I think, look, I think the most important thing is, is that we're having the dialogue now, which is important. And um, what we don't want to happen, right, is this sort of stuff get washed away and just have the dialogue. And then in the end, we don't see any change taking place or people just get fed up. People think, you know what, I'm just too angry or it's just, you know, these protests gone from just being angry, angry protests. We want these statues down. We want this. We want this change. And after the changes take place, then the next stage of the real change we want to see, you know, um, wh where are the companies? Why aren't the top 10 companies releasing their employer figures for gender gap, you know, for different ethnics? Um, you know, why is it that, you know, black people get 20, they get paid 25% less than any other community in similar positions? Why is that the case? Where are all of these figures? You know, the real hard hitting stuff going forward is going to get washed away because we're focusing on something so much on something else, which then, you know, won't give the opportunity to actually talk about the, the issues going forward. My, my point is, let's talk about going forward. I hear you, Monty, and, and you mentioned the Premier League. I'm, I'm a big football fan. Um, what hasn't been spoken so much about is whether these same issues exist in cricket. Well, well, you look at cricket. Cricket's made a change. 
They've got Vikram Solanke as the first Asian um, county cricket coach, right? They've got Isha Gore, who's like the vice president of the PCA or, or on the committee, and she's like, you know, on Sky Sports. So they've got like a female Asian representative. They've got the first female president at the MCC after 233 years. So I think cricket is making that change, and you're already seeing the changes that they've made. I mean, in terms of in terms of um, black lives, I mean, is that is that is that an issue or is that not an issue in in cricket? Is... Well, I, I remember Michael Carberry coming up with a comment, and he said that he did face you know some sort of racism. Now, the issue is this: is that I've seen it when I was younger. I remember one of my friends saying to me that I went with my friend, you know, black friend, in, into a shop, and um, he said to, he was an Asian guy, he goes, oh, can you put this in, in, in your bag? He goes, oh, mate, no, 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 don't don't tell me to open the bag. The security guard may think I'm nicking something, but give it to me after we come out of the shop. And that was an eye-opener for him. He was like, wow, is that what you're, is that like, is that how it is for you sometimes for the black people? He goes, yeah, because these security guards, they think we nick everything, but we don't. Um, or if they have a real nice car. And I remember that, you know, some of my black friends had like nice car, I'll sit with them and they'll just drive around and you kind of see more police cars going past you than if you're like an Asian guy, a brown Asian guy with the same car, you don't see as many police cars or, mm -hmm. you know, like you've got to put yourself into the shoes of a black person and then you realise like actually, how stressful must it be if they've got a nice car and every day they've just got to go out and then drive that car but they know if there's a police car, they're like, oh, I better be careful here, you know, uh, they, he, may, he may just stop me over. But if, if it's a brown person, it's like actually it doesn't get seen as much, you know. So, so no, I think you're right. I think it's. I think the, the, the discrimination against blacks is pretty well documented. It, do you think it's an issue in cricket, in your experience? Um, it's it, it's it's what are you going with? It's the eye of the beholder, right? It's how you see things. It's what what your intention was. Like when I played cricket. All I was thinking about, oh my god, the ball's coming to me. Better stop it. If I catch it, I'll catch. <laughs> like, if I'm batting, I better better not get out. I had far bigger <laughs> issues than someone saying to me, "Monty, you smell of oh mate, here it comes, Delhi Belly or Bobblehead or you know Curry Muncha." It's like, oh mate, I don't care what you call me. I'm going to face a bouncer off that guy, and that's going to hurt if I don't watch the ball. That's far more important than a comment like that. Um, it's you know, I had like I. <laughs> it's it's just funny, isn't it? It's like everyone has a different different sort of set of eyes to it. Um, but for me, like I it, I think it would have been a different story for me if I was an amazing cricketer. Like if I was an amazing batsman, an amazing fielder, and a really good bowler, then I would my cricketing abilities were really good. So then suddenly you got space to like look. You know, your mind got oh actually <laughs> yeah you know that's not right. You shouldn't be you shouldn't be saying that kind of stuff to me. Well, this is not right. But when I'm more worried about the ball just coming to me, and, oh, stop the ball, stop the ball, right? It doesn't matter what someone says to me. I've got far more important things to worry about <laughs> on the cricket field. <laughs> Monty, it's been an absolute um, pleasure speaking with you, mate. Thanks, mate. Um, I, I've, uh, I've really enjoyed hearing your insight in particular um, about um, how you contended with Sachin Tendulkar. I think, I think, I'm really inspired by people that manage to face things that are otherwise intimidating and they come out the other side. Something I heard um, a while ago stays with me that bliss is on the other side of fear and conquering fear. And I think you might have probably experienced something close to heaven 
in those few seconds and those few minutes following um, bowling out uh, Sachin Tendulkar. Thank you for sharing that experience with us. Pleasure, mate. Um, Pleasure. And, and, and giving us those insights. I'm sure we're going to stay in touch, mate. Um, yeah. Our platform is quick, uh, quickly, quickly growing and and um, obtaining the uh, the support of the masses. And I think in the future we'll love to have you back on. Yeah, um, 100%. To share your further exploits between now and then. Okay, brilliant, mate. Love to. Thank you so much for having me on on your podcast. Monty, you're a, you're a straight talker and I really value that. Thanks, mate. Pleasure. Pleasure, mate. Pleasure. Thank okay, you. Okay, we'll chat soon. Cheers, mate. Thanks a lot. I bid you farewell. Thanks, brother. Thank you.